It got cold awful quick, didn't it? It was like, I remember like getting back from Florida, and it was not that bad, and then all of a sudden it was like Arctic. <laughs> so hopefully everybody doesn't start getting the sniffles and all that good stuff. I think everybody just had that run through, so hopefully it doesn't hit us too bad. Yeah, but keep Pastor in prayer. He'll be traveling back, I think, tomorrow or tonight or something like that. I'm not 100% sure, but this morning we're going to continue in our study in Ephesians that we've been doing. This is obviously the study that we would typically do in the Bible study on Monday nights, but uh, we'll just keep trucking forward on this. Last time we uh, did this, uh, we got all the way down through verse 23 of chapter 1, and so we're going to start chapter 2 here this morning. And there's a bunch, there's a bunch in this passage, um, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like, uh, Real easy, practical stuff, and then as you'll see here, there's also some deep doctrinal stuff in here as you start running some references and running some things, and so we'll try to hit all of it <coughs> as much as we can as we go through. But the first thing here in, uh, in verse number one, it says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversations in time past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now this, these first three verses is a snapshot into the picture of a lost person. Okay, this is, a, this is the description of the, of the lost person uh, as they walk around this world. And the first thing it says, it says, And you hath he quickened, there's your, your compare and contrast. He's, he's uh, contrasting those that are saved with the unsaved, which he describes as dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, and so that's the, the main distinction here. And uh, what he says here is he says, You hath he quickened. Now, that's a word that Paul uses a lot in his writings, that word quickened. And you, you, what you have to grasp from that is that quickening is a spiritual quickening. That quickening is something that takes place the moment you and I trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a very important thing that if it didn't take place, uh, none of us in here would have eternal security the way that we know it. Okay, so uh, take your Bibles, go to 1 Peter chapter 3 real quick, just to run a, a couple things here on, on this word quickened. To show you that this is a, a spiritual thing. And again, it's funny how he says, And ye hath he quickened, right? Uh, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Showing you the two sides, being saved and being lost. And uh, of course, the face value is, is there's nothing there that has anything to do with works. Right? He says, And you hath he quickened. Well, you didn't quicken yourself, right? It wasn't anything you did to get saved. It wasn't anything that you did to, uh, to earn your salvation or anything like that. But it's those, little, it's those little things that people tend to look over and, you know, that kind of thing. But uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, look in verse number 18. Now, if you want to underline this verse in your Bibles, this is uh, when, you, when we were doing visitation and stuff in school. You know, you got the Romans Road and you've got... I mean, there's a road for pretty much every. They got the Isaiah Road. You got the Romans Road, the Galatians Road. There's all kinds of roads, you know, to try to lead somebody to the Lord. They said if you had one verse that you could give somebody, if you were trying to witness to somebody and 
and uh, give them something if they were lost. Uh, the, the gospel, as far as, you know, death, burial, resurrection, and everything they need to know, they say, quote, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. It has everything in it that you need. All right, verse 18. For Christ hath also suffered once for sins, right? The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. But look at this. Quickened by the Spirit. Quickened by the Spirit. So we see that that quickening is a spiritual work. And that, that spiritual work, that spiritual quickening is manifested in Colossians chapter 2. And a lot of you in here know it, and I feel like we say it you know, a lot when we're doing Bible study and that kind of thing, but it bears repeating. Go to Colossians chapter 2, if you would. Let's see here. Um, verse 8, Colossians 2, 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Now here's the, here's the working of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. And whom also... Ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Bury with him in baptism, wherein now you are risen through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Right? What did he just say back there in 1 Peter chapter 3? Right? He was being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. That's right there alluding to his resurrection. What does he say here? Who raised him from the dead? So who is doing this work, this circumcision made without hands? Well, you put those two verses together, it shows you that that quickening is, is a working of the Holy Spirit and the circumcision uh, of the Spirit, uh, is of the Spirit as well. Now that type runs all the way into the Old Testament with circumcision being a type. And if you didn't circumcise your child you know, before the eighth day, they were you know, banished from the people and all this different stuff. And we know that that... You know, uh, thing was uh, thrown in Moses' face and a couple different instances that you see that thing come into play in the Old Testament. And what that is, it's a picture and it's a type of what takes place when you and I get saved. And so if uh, you fail to be spiritually circumcised, well, guess what? You're not part of, the, you're not part of God's people. Okay? Because that, that takes place when, the minute you get saved. And that is, that is a part of this quickening uh, of the Spirit that he's talking about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So let's go back to our text here, Ephesians 2. And ye hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay? In verse 2, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Now the first part of this verse here is, is peculiar because it says, we're in time past, you walked according to the course of this world. And so in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to go through each one of these, but in the book of Ephesians, it's, it's pretty neat because uh, it, it mentions seven, diff seven different types of walks in the book of Ephesians. And the first one you see is right here, and that's the walk of the unsaved. And notice what he says, where in time past, ye walked... So he's reminding you that as saved people, don't forget, don't be so soon removed from the fact that at one time in your life, you walked after the, 
the, the course of this world as a lost person. And what were you? Well, you were dead in trespasses and sins. You thought like the world. You acted like the world. You followed the world. And you said, well, I was a pretty, you know, uh, I was a, a person that kind of didn't really care about what people thought about me. Well, guess what? You still walked after the fashion of this world. <laughs> right? right. You, still, you still did whatever your flesh told you to do and, and whatever it was satisfied with. It's funny because, because even the people that walk around today and say, well, I'm trying to break away from the world system and I don't meet societal norms and I don't, you know, think of, uh, I don't think of myself in the, in the stereotypical way as, as people should, should think of me and all this different stuff. This, this real desire to be a quote-unquote individual separated from the masses. And you know what they are? Dead in trespasses and sins just like everybody else. <laughs> It's funny how the Bible just clumps people together like that. But he doesn't clump them together in, 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 in uh, sections of race or, or in sections of you know, political affiliation or anything like that. It groups you into groups of you're dead in trespasses and sins and you're not. <laughs> Those are the groups it splits it up into, right? Not even so much as when Paul is talking, he's like, it has no difference between Jew and Gentile. It's you're saved or you're lost, right? These are these, these distinguishing markers that actually mean something. And no matter what your personality is or what your preferences are uh, or how unique you think you are or how unique someone thinks they are, the fact of the matter is, is they're walking according to the prince of the power of the air. They're walking according to the course of this world. And that's how unsaved people walk. Now, can I say this? As you probably well know, not all unsaved people are, quote-unquote, bad people. We can all agree on that, right? There's some, there's some brethren <laughs> that, uh, judging by the way they preach on the street and judging by the way they talk to people, you would think God hates everybody. I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Now, uh, and we'll get into this a little bit, uh, a little bit further down when we get into uh, the discussion on uh, in verse three, where it talks about the children of wrath. But <clears throat> I understand that the love of God was shown at Calvary, and I understand that if you want to, if you want to partake in the love of Christ, you have to first get it at Calvary. But Jesus Christ showing His love at Calvary doesn't end at Calvary. It goes throughout. And so, and so there's plenty of lost people out there when we deal with people and we see them walking after the course of this world and what are they doing? That's a vicious course. Have you ever come to terms with what the course of the world actually looks like? That there are producers and there are consumers and, and basically, it's like this rat race of how much money can I get so I can afford this kind of stuff and I can do this with my life. And, uh, you know, basically, I, I'm either pinned down or, or I'm not. And, and I'm trying to just, just make ends meet. And this is this constant, like, I need to work, I need to work, I need to work. And then eventually I die. Isn't that a pretty, that's a pretty bleak, you know, path to, to tread. And if you haven't gotten there yet, you will. <laughs> okay? You will. And you'll have to sit back and say, is this whole thing just a sham? And it's like, yeah. 
It kind of is. <laughs> right? It kind of is. That's why he says that we should, be not, we should not be of the world, although we're in the world. You see, there's difference. I don't have to be caught up in the world system. But yet, there's plenty of people that they're walking after the course of this world and they don't even realize it. Whether they're on the upper echelons of society or whether they're on the bottom and you see them walking around downtowns all over this country or all over the world and they're poor, depressed, dirty, and sick and without hope, without God, dead in trespasses and sins with no peace and no assurance of where they're going when they die. And matter of fact, the thought of death is probably a welcome thought in their own minds. You know what? It's sad, but they're just walking after the course of this world. And guess what? The course of this world is designed to wear you out. It's designed to break you down. The devil would love for Christians who are saved to continue walking after the course of this world. You know, there's plenty of Christians that walk just like unsaved people walk you would never know that they were Christians. Maybe they show up to church on Sunday, but guess what? When the minute they walk out those doors, there's no differentiating characteristics in their life whatsoever. It's this dog-eat-dog, you know, thing. And do I think, can, can, you, can you be in this world and not be of this world? Of course you can. Of course you can. But you have to identify the fact that he's talking here is that those, those things should be mentioned of you in the past tense. Yeah. Amen. Right? Yeah. There's, those things are past tense. He says, he says, but you, right, in times past, walked according to the course of this world. I don't have to continue to do that. I can stop the rat race. I can realize that godliness, right, with contentment is great gain. And if the monetary comes, it comes. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. We'll get into this uh, a little bit further, but what you'll realize is if you live a Christian life, according to the Bible, if everything in your life is, 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 uh, is defined by how you walk, you think about the greatest thing Abraham ever did. What did Abraham actually do? He believed God, right? He's sitting in Ur the Chaldees, right? And he says, hey, Abraham, let's take a walk, man. And you know what he does? He spends the rest of his life walking. Did he ever just kind of like stew Abraham's life down to a fine poison? That's what Abraham did. Abraham was sitting in Ur the Chaldees, and in Ur the Chaldees, God came to him and said, hey, I want to call out people. You want to come follow me? He's like, sure. Where are we going? I don't know. Just come on. And you know what Abraham starts to do? He just starts walking around. And out of that decision to walk and then walk and be led by God, look at what God was able to do by one man who just simply decided, I'm going to walk with him. Everything in your life is going to be dictated about how you walk. That's why I think it's so neat that uh, Ephesians puts this thing out. And obviously this was uh, put in here by the, the Holy Spirit. Uh, look in verse 10. So right there you have the walk of the unsaved in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1. Look in uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. 
You see that? You have the walk of good works. Now listen, this has nothing to do with your salvation. I don't have to, I don't have to repeat that. Right? I don't have to get into the fact, we've already gone over it, as far as the before ordained that you should walk in them. Right? And we have to go through the whole, are we uh, ordained before the foundation of the world garbage with Calvinism. We've already gone over that. But can we just look at it at face value for what it's actually trying to say? And that is, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. We're His workmanship. Not just in the, not just in the uh, creation sense, but you're His workmanship in, in the spiritual sense of He's cut your soul away from your body. You're now quickened by Christ. You're a new creature. He's made you anew because of your salvation. And now, because of the work that He's doing in your life, the Bible tells you that your Christian life is a process, right? We work it out with fear and trembling. We learn things. We, 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 we do line upon line and precept upon precept, and we grow as Christians, and our life grows, and we learn lessons, and we, and we fail, and then we get back up, and that's why a just man falls seven times and gets up again, right? Because you're developing. He says, for we are his workmanship. You see the, the, the illustration of the, of the potter and the clay. That's a, that's a picture of my uh, walk and my relationship and my life with God. He's molding me and making me and shaping me. I'm his workmanship. Now that I'm saved, God and the Holy Spirit can now work on me. Before you're saved, God can't work on you. Why? Because you don't have access to the Holy Spirit. Right? You all know that. So it says, he says that uh, uh, you, can't, you can't understand the things of God because you're spiritually discerned before you're saved. You don't have the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the Bible. You can't understand God. And God can't work on you if you're lost. The only thing that uh, will take place while you're lost is you're going to be pointed to Jesus Christ. That will be the only thing that you get. You see all these lost people talking about, well, I pray and I do this and I seek God. It's like, well, if you're lost, what do you do? You're walking aimlessly after the course of this world. You have a form of godliness, but no power. Okay, but now that we're saved, we have access to the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit's talking to me. And now when I do something wrong, he's saying, hey, what about that? Right? And now when I read something in the Bible, he says, what do you think of that? And now all of a sudden when I hear preaching, it's like something hits me like slap in the chest. And it's like, man, I wonder if that's for me. Why? The Holy Spirit's working on you. He's molding you. And that's what God wants to do. God wants to mold you. God wants to, to make you. God wants to form you to be more and more in His image, right? Trying to work the kinks out, trying to sand off the rough spots. But if that's what God wants to do, He says that He, says that he hath before ordained that you should walk in them. Good works. Now, I don't believe you need to have good works in order to be saved. Period. <coughs> if that was the case, a lot of us would not never gotten saved. You realize that the Bible tells you that before you were saved, the Bible calls you free from righteousness. You know what that means? That means before you were saved, you couldn't do good if you wanted to. Which is really, which is really rough. Because if you think about all the do-gooders out there right now, I, I can think of people off the top of my head right now. And you know what they are? They're wonderful people. From the, if, you're, if we're just judging people on people stuff. 
they're giving, they're loving, they're caring. They're charity kind of people. They give you a shirt off their back, and guess what? They're just as lost as a goose in a horse race. You see what I'm saying? I want to do good. I want to do good. It doesn't matter a thing. You can't do good. You know, you can't do good without Jesus Christ. Now, that would be, that would be an arguing point for most, but I, I don't think there's much of an argument scripturally. All right, so he says, We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Go to, take your Bibles, go to Titus real quick. We hit three verses in Titus. Start in Titus chapter 2. Look at verse 7. That being justified by His grace, again, salvation is the prerequisite for this. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I'm in chapter 3, my bad. Chapter 2, look in verse, uh, look in verse 8. I think. No, it's a seven, 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 seven. My bad. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, and sincerity. Okay? In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. Who's he talking to? Well, he's talking for, uh, he's giving instructions uh, for young people and old people in the church. What does it said? What is, what is, what is the, uh, what is the uh, admonition given to us as, as whether you're young or whether you're old here in the church and how we deal with one another and what we do here in and out of uh, our, our, our capacity in the church? Well, we should have a pattern of good works. That's what we should have. The Lord wants that. All right, go to Titus chapter 2, look at verse 14. Again, the prerequisite, uh, verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Okay? And then look at verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what the Lord wants. The The Lord came. He lived a perfect life. He died, buried, resurrected. Offered salvation free to all man for what purpose? So that he could, he could, um, uh, he could purify. That's the workmanship we're talking. That's a, that's the process of purifying unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be. We're not just supposed to have good works. We should be excited and zealous towards the works in which we're doing. Okay. Uh, one more. Let's go to Titus chapter 3, verse 8. I got ahead of myself there. Again, verse, verse 7, the prerequisite. That being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Thus, uh, because of that, this is the faithful saying. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God, do you see what you see that little English thing there with the ED on the end of believe? Right? 
So this is what the expectation is after you're saved. Not before you're saved, but after you're saved. Uh, constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. They're good and profitable unto you, and they're good and profitable unto other people. And guess what? They're good and profitable in the folks that are on the outside walking that uh that unsaved path that we're talking about before, they see you and they see your good works. And what do they do? As the Bible tells us, they can glorify your father, which is in heaven. Right? That's why we're, that's why we're to be careful to maintain good works. Our good works are not, uh, uh, they're not mandatory for salvation, but they are expected after salvation. They are expected. Now, uh, let's put this in context. My good works are not, and nor does it anywhere in the verses we just read, allude to the fact that I do those good works to seek approval from God. The context of what we just read was towards each other. Towards, the, towards people that are without, the Bible says. And so our good works are not to uh, improve our, our standing with the Lord. That can't be improved. My standing, as we've talked about in the beginning of Ephesians, is clear. That I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. I can't be removed from that. I can't get any closer to the Lord than that. Right? But my state can fluctuate. Right? My fellowship can fluctuate. And that kind of thing. My good works, can I say this? It's been my experience now. It's been my experience that if you are careful to maintain good works and you try to be a good person, you try to do the things that you're supposed to do, it benefits you more than it does other people. That's my experience. I know that there's been times in my life where I haven't felt like being nice and I haven't felt like giving and I haven't felt like, you know, offering that word of encouragement or doing certain things or volunteering for stuff or being around for somebody. I just kind of wanted to be to myself. Those are the most miserable times in my life. Can anybody else attest to that? Anybody here? But when you are outwardly focused and you're thinking about, hey, my wife and my kids and my church and, and can I help you? And hey, brother, uh, you need something. And hey, I got a couple extra bucks and you give that thing out and someone's struggling and you help it. And you have this pattern of good works in your life where you're trying to touch the lives and hearts of other people and you're careful to see those things. You want to know something? There's never been a time in your life you've been filled with more joy, contentment, happiness, and just, just overall jubilation for your walk with the Lord. It benefits you. If you show a pattern of walking like that, not only that, but people will want to be around you. You see that? Why do you think the Bible tells you if you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly? Friendships are built, right, off of individuals uh, being good to each other. I don't ever want to be friends with somebody that is a jerk to me. Right? If you come up to me and you're a jerk to me, I'm just like, oh, well, I don't, I'm not like, well, we should be best friends. You know, you want to come over? <laughs> right? Now, listen, the Bible tells us to do good unto our enemies, right? I get that. 
But that doesn't mean we got to be friends. <laughs> we don't got to be, you know, close buddies. We're not going to be talking on the phone all the time. That's for sure. But the fact of the matter is, is you think about some of the relationship problems that you have or, uh, or just uh, work problems that you have or certain things that come up sometimes. I wonder how many of those problems would be resolved with, if we were just to walk with a, with a pattern of good works. Right? Even if somebody was bad to us, if we thought, how can I be a blessing to that person? You ever look at somebody like that and think of it like a challenge? Like, I bet you I can make them like me. <laughs> right? Now, some, listen, there's some people, they just ain't going to like you. I get it. And, it. and I'm not saying that you should be that kind of person that's so desperate for people to like you that you're you know, going around doing all this different stuff. There's obviously levels to this, what I'm talking about. But the thing he's telling us here is uh, we're his workmanship. And out of appreciation... And out of uh, gratitude and out of um, this desire to um, give back for what God has given us. Now, of course, you're not going to give back uh, everything that God gave you, but there's a spirit behind it, right? It's the same spirit that David had when he wanted to, when he wanted to build the temple. It's like, God, look at everything you've done for me. Can I at least, why, why am I dwelling in this beautiful house and you don't have a place? Right? I'm going to build you a place. God says, don't, don't worry about that. Right? But the thought was there. You see? And if we have, if we have that, if you could just uh, think about walking with a pattern of good works in your life, you'd be, you'd be amazed how your life changes. You'd be amazed how your spirit changes. You'd be amazed how your marriage changes. You'd be, you'd be amazed how your relationship with your kids change. Right? Just, we want to walk, uh, we want to walk uh, with good works. All right? Uh, let's, do the, let's do another one here. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Okay, so we have here, we had the walk of the unsaved, the walk of good works, and this is a worthy walk. A worthy walk. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, I like what Paul says, and he refers to himself as that uh, multiple times in Scriptures. He calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. And uh, that right there <coughs> shows you his level of dedication, his level of commitment uh, to the Lord that he finds himself... Uh, calling himself the prisoner of the Lord, not in the sense that God has, has shackled him down and won't allow him to do anything, and I don't have any, you know, I don't have any uh, room to, to be me and to find my inner truth and all this different stuff. No, in the sense of Paul saying, I, I will gladly consider myself to be locked, um, locked up as long as I'm with the Lord and in his service. He's free to do with me what he wants. I'm in his custody. That's what he's saying here. What an attitude to have about the Lord, right? So what does he say? Uh, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you, I beg you, that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now that's special. Now listen, that vocation, you can spiritualize that if you want. 
You can spiritualize that and, or, 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 or whatnot, because look at what he says in the next verse. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You see what he's, what he's talking about? It's relationship-based stuff with other people. Vocation. I've seen people try to say, well, that's, that's just you. That's your vocation as a preacher or a missionary or an evangelist. Right? And so I should walk worthy of the vocation in which I'm called to do. Because after all, God only calls people to be preachers, missionaries, and evangelists. That's the common thought. That God only calls people to be preachers, missionaries, and evangelists. And so, since those are the only vocations that are a calling... We should walk, so the people who should walk worthy of that are the ones that are standing behind a pulpit or on a foreign field somewhere. Now, let me preface it this way. If you're called to be a preacher, you should walk as if you are a preacher. Right? You should walk as if you're a preacher. Right? I, 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 and, and then again, I mean, pastors talked about this multiple times. That's why I want to get up in a pulpit. I got a suit and tie on. Why? Because I'm a preacher. I'm not your pal. I'm not, I'm not like the guy next door and I got my polo on and, and we're hanging out in our khakis and like, no. Why? Because I'm a preacher. Right? There's certain things that I don't do because I'm a preacher. There's certain things that I don't want to uh, partake in because I'm a preacher. It may be fine for other people who aren't preachers, but just because there's times where I have to stand in a pulpit and I have to uh, address people from the Bible, right? I don't want certain things to be said about me because I am a preacher. Okay? And missionaries and evangelists the same way. You have a push in the churches today to bring the position of pastor or preacher down to this common level where I should not dress like this and I should not require that of myself because after all, you know what? We're all on the same level. I've, listen, I've been around guys that are preachers that say, I won't wear a suit and tie because I won't blend in with the common folk anymore. Shut up. What are you trying to do? What are you trying to prove? You should set yourself apart. Why? So that people in the congregation have something to look to. If you're the representation of the Lord, if, you're, if you are uh, an under-shepherd or you are somebody who's supposed to be addressing them and be filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and delivering messages, why aren't you different than them? You see, they're trying to dumb down and they're trying to, they're trying to make the, the pulpit and the preacher let more casual. Well, that doesn't help you at all. That doesn't help the church at all. You know what, you, you know what preachers should do? Okay, uh, and you've heard other people say this before. When a preacher messes up, guess what? There's a higher expectation for him. Because you're in a position of power, you're in a position of leadership, and guess what? The same way as when a police officer messes up, they want to hold him to account, because why? Because he has a higher calling in society. He is one that has been entrusted with the law to enforce it, and if he abuses that power, he should be 
held to a higher standard. Okay? Well, preachers are the same way. Now, you're a Christian. And you walk around in this world. You're not a preacher, I get that. But you're a Christian. What well, does the principle lie within you as well? Well, sure. You're called to be an ambassador. You're called to be a witness. Well, I'm not a pastor, I'm not a missionary, I'm not an evangelist. Who cares? He's called every one of you. He's called every one of you. What if, what if God, let's just newsflash here, what if God called you to be a machinist? Brother Mike, what if God called you to be a plumber? What if God called you to be a mechanic? What if God called you to do whatever vocation it is that you do in this world? Well, he's, not, he's telling you to walk worthy of that. Walk worthy of what? The fact that I'm a Christian in this position that God has put me in and called me to do. And so he gives you a principle to live by. He gives you a principle to go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. That's not just for preachers. That's not just for missionaries, evangelists. That's for people that God has put in a, a vocation, a career, a, a position where they are providing for their family. And if you're a plumber or a mechanic or a delivery driver or whatever it is that you're doing, you're in sales, you're a business owner, whatever it is that you're to do, you know what you should do? Heartily as under the Lord and not unto men, and you should walk worthy of that. Amen. Why? Because you're a Christian. And, there, and you should strive to be the best whatever it is that God has put in your place to do. Maybe that vocation changes in time. Maybe it does. Maybe your career path changes. Maybe your responsibilities at work change. Okay, walk worthy of that vocation. Why? Because you represent the Lord Jesus Christ wherever it is you are. In that whole passage in Colossians, he's talking about relationship between uh, servants and their masters. Can we liken that unto an employee-boss uh, relationship? Sure. He addresses the employee as well as the boss. So maybe you find yourself in a position where you're the boss or you're the owner. Okay, he tells you how to treat your people. This is all Bible stuff, folks. This is not me just making stuff up. This isn't just secular, you know, we're not having a seminar up here this morning. Okay, this is Bible and so whatever position you find yourself in that God has given you the ability to handle, you should do that to the best of your ability. And guess what? Hold yourself to a higher standard than everybody else around you that's doing it. Why? Because you represent Jesus Christ there. When I was a corrections officer, uh, that's exactly what I, what I tried to do. I messed up, man. I mean, my goodness, that's a hard job. But I remember my corporal, uh, it was uh, about uh, a week before my two-week notice was up before I was done with the job. And uh, we, were, we got called out on a fight on a block somewhere, and we had to go break this fight up and everything. And, and um, 
the thing that they like to do is, you know, bust the door down and start cussing at the guy, yelling at him. <laughs> we put him in cuffs and, you know, take him away. And uh, my corporal looked at me and said, I just want to hear you cuss just once, Joe. I just want to hear you cuss one time for me. And I said, what, and ruin my testimony I've had the entire time I've been here? You know what I showed those guys? I showed those guys you could do that job without cussing. Right? Some of you in here, you work in the trades. I know you mechanics in here. You think I don't know what a mechanic shop was like? You think I don't know what trades guys, we deal with trades people all the time. <laughs> you don't think I know what construction people are like? You don't think I know how they talk? You don't think I know how their sense of humor is? You don't think I know what they talk about on Monday after they reminisce about what happened Saturday and Sunday? I do. 100%. And you know what? When you don't take part in that conversation, and when you don't cuss, and when you don't do those things, why? Because you're holding yourself to a higher standard because, after all, God puts you in that place to be the best mechanic or the best construction worker or the best police officer or the best secretary or the best uh, uh, engineer or the best architect that you could possibly be. And I don't care what everybody else does. Why? Because I'm doing this for the Lord and not for everybody else in here. Well, this is just just how we act. This is just how the construction industry is. This is just how the industry is. I don't care. I don't represent you. I represent Jesus Christ. If you would learn to walk like that, man, how much different would your job be? Right? I think the reason why a lot of people struggle with, I don't know what the will of God is, and I just don't feel like I'm doing anything. And I just, it's like, did you go to work today? Did you go to work today? Well, I don't feel like I'm doing anything for God. Did you go to work today? <laughs> if you started treating your job as if that's where the Lord wanted you to be and, 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 and keep track of your testimony amongst those people and realize that that's your mission field and, and that's your sphere of influence and you started walking worthy of that vocation, how much different would your perspective of your job be? And then you come to church and it's like, man, I've been working for God all week. Right? You see, sometimes we, we, we stew this thing down into one thing. And if I'm not a preacher and I'm not a missionary, I'm not an evangelist, well, I, that verse ain't for me. That verse is for you. That verse is for me. Right? That verse is for any saved person that's doing something in this world. God's got them doing Right? I don't care how minuscule it is or how minuscule you think it is. These teenagers working at fast food and working at these little, you know, (coughs) these little starting starting out jobs and labor positions and stuff like that. You say, what is that? Walk worthy of the vocation that God's got you in. When all the other young, because I know what it's like to work in a fast food restaurant. I read a book one time, this guy says, if you let your kids work in fast food, you're just like offering them up to Moloch. (laughs) I was like, yeah, let's be against fast food. But then I thought, well, he obviously doesn't mean that because he probably goes to Chick-fil-A three times a week. You know what I'm saying? He's like, well, this is not right. Everybody work at Chick-fil-A, you know. We're we're trying to do that, you know. Uh, We believe in that. (laughs) 
But listen, listen, whatever it is, there's going to be, you're, you're entering into the world at that point, right? And you're going to feel the current. I don't care what job you have. You're going to feel the current of this world. You're going to feel the current of society and the, and the norms. And you know what the Bible says? You need to learn how to walk against it. Walk worthy of the vocation in which you're called. When everybody else, when it says don't, when it says, uh, you know, the rules say don't eat the food, don't eat the food. Why? Because that's what we like to call in the business stealing. <laughs> right? Well, everybody does it. I know. But everybody ain't you. Well, they're Christians, okay. Well, how come you're? How come you? How come you have an argument about it? Maybe it's because uh, you see that, and you and the Lord has shown you what this is, and you're sitting here, and uh, you you know better. And what if what if you could influence those Christians that are doing the same thing in your workplace? If you would just stand up and walk worthy of the vocation in which you're called. I feel like so many Christians, they miss out and they say, oh, I've never got a chance to witness anybody. I never got a chance to, you know, uh, to do this or to do that or lead somebody to Christ. How much have you utilized your, your place of work? You know how, you know, you'll reach a whole lot more people. Listen, and I'm not against passing out tracts and I'm not against street preaching and any of that stuff. I'm not against any of it. Okay, listen to me. You'll reach and be more, and you'll be more. You'll see more of an effect on people that you work with every day than you ever will in public ministry. People that you see every day, you go to work with, you can build relationships with, all that kind of stuff. They'll listen to you way more. You'll see way more results if you look at it that way than you ever will in public ministry. There's a place for public ministry, but he's telling you here, walk worthy of the vocation. It's a word he used in the Bible of which you're called, right? And that will wrap it up for this morning, all right? Maybe we'll get through some more of these uh, uh, tonight or something, but let's, let's pray and we'll uh, take a break. Heavenly Father,